Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Burns and Gambo starts now. Straight up to the claw on this Friday afternoon. Good afternoon and welcome into today's edition of the Burns and Gambo Show here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. My name is Dave Burns alongside the one, the only, John Gambadoro. Hi, Gambadoro. Burnsy, what's going on? Look at that. Look at that. John Gambadoro, first place, 92 points. Ooh. Dave Burns, second place, 82 points. And I was about to run away with the damn thing until the Gonzaga yeah. three-pointer at the end. Yeah. I had UCLA in the Final Four. Yeah, I have Gonzaga in the Final Four. I'm feeling good about that. Yeah. Mitch Vereldis. Third, fourth place. That's pure domination That's pure by the domination by the show right show. there. Pure domination. First right place there. me. Second place you. Fourth place Mitch. Just <laughs> like it's like three of the top four spots belong to the Burns and Gambo show. Absolutely, Vince uh, Murata pulling up the rear with an absolutely brutal bracket. I think yeah. he's out of points too. I mean, I think it simply comes down to this: if Alabama wins it all, I I come in first place. I mean, that's what it comes down to. If Alabama wins it, I will win. Nobody else has Alabama winning. Everybody's some people have Houston, but I've got Bama, so I could end up. You're uh, right. That's all I care about. How is Gambo going to win the poll? I <laughs> man, that's that's all I. I that's that's true. Anybody else care about any other outcome, or is that all we're worried about here? How is Gambo going to win like this? I like Houston to win. That would <laughs> be nice. Should I not want myself to come in first <laughs> you, place? You can. Yes. Do, absolutely. Do, do, you act, do people actually root against themselves no, in I, life? No. But not I really at all. hope that my bracket doesn't win. No, not one. Not but one I really bit. would love but to like, see like you just Jared Carlin you pass like me. That's the only outcome here. To there this it whole is. Thing. Well, right? I know, some people have Houston winning. Yeah. I've got. Who do you have winning it? I have Houston winning. Okay, and yeah. a lot of other people do. I'm the only one with Bama winning, so for me, it just comes got, down to Bama wins, I win. Two of your Final Four left? I do. I got uh, Bama and Houston. I got three of my Final Four left. I had so UCLA. Yeah. Man, what a, what a game. I what lost, a game. I lost Tennessee last night, so that's that was a, that was a surprise. Stun, that was a stunner. Yes, it I was. I thought you would lose Gonzaga. And UCLA was killing Gonzaga, and we'll talk about it. They were killing them. 13 points to half. I mean, I thought they were going to run away with it, and then they fell apart. and, and But then they came back and took the lead after they were down 10 with two minutes half minutes left. They came back, they took the lead, and then Gonzaga wins it on the last second shot. What a crazy game. Crazy game. if there's any big outcome I need to happen tonight, but I think tonight at this point... Just Batman, Houston. And the thing about Tennessee, it's not really going to hurt me that much because everybody either had Purdue or Marquette. So it's like every, right. if that whole that whole unless somebody had K State, no Nobody. one's really gaining any points mm-hmm. on that one. All right, that's your quick March Madness update. The Burns and Gambo show dominates. That is not our top story of the day. Here's what is our top story of the day. Burns and Gambo, the weigh-in. Brought to you by Revitalize Weight Loss. Getting closer, ladies and gentlemen, we're getting closer. Sham Sharania tweeting out about an hour ago, Phoenix Suns 13-time All-Star Kevin Durant is progressing towards a potential return to action on Wednesday versus Minnesota, barring any setback, according to league sources. There we go. So that would be how many games left for him to play in? Seven games remaining. Not going to play in all seven. There is a back-to-back. Yes, there is a back-to-back in there. I'll have to look at the schedule to remind myself exactly when it is. But there, I, I would presume of those seven, you're right, he's probably going to play in six. The back-to-back comes on, there it is, Thursday, April 6th, they're home against Denver. Friday, April 7th, they're at the Los Angeles Lakers. I'm going to presume he's going to sit out one of those two games. Sure. 
So it could play six, five or six down the stretch. Give you a chance to make sure that you hold on to, you know, the four or the five seed that you don't fall. The biggest fear was falling into the play-in tournament. With KD coming back for, you know, more than just two or three games, I think that those fears subside quite a bit. You think so? Does this, I do, does I do. this alleviate those concerns? Uh, yes. Okay. I mean, yes. I mean, he's one of the greatest players that's ever put on a uniform. I mean, the targeted home return is Minnesota that would give Shams followed up uh, the Suns seven final regular season games to prepare for the playoffs. Right now, Phoenix currently holds the fourth seed in the West. They are just two games ahead of the Timberwolves right now for that seventh spot in the NBA's Western Conference. I tend to agree that, okay, these next three games, it might get bad, all right? These next two games, it might get bad. They're at Sacramento tonight. We'll talk about them in a second. They're home against Philadelphia tomorrow. Katie's already been ruled out. DA's already been ruled out. Then they've got one more game Monday against Utah. Are they going to be able to win a game before they get Kevin Durant back? And if they should lose all three, Kevin Durant might step onto the floor on Wednesday night, and he's got a seventh-place team, maybe even an eighth-place team. The hope would be with him back, they wouldn't stay there very long if that's the case. That would be the hope. We'll see if they can get it. I think, listen, it cures a lot of their problems. Does it cure all their problems? Probably not, but it cures a lot of them. And a lot of other teams have problems, too. I mean, the Suns aren't the only team with problems. No, lots of teams have problems. The yes. Clippers have problems. Didn't hamper them last night against Oklahoma oh, City. Golden oh. State has problems. Golden Clippers State have has problems. problems. Memphis there. has problems. Yep. Everybody's got problems. Uh, Monty Williams has problems. 20,000 of them, to be exact. I don't know, man. Don't you just forward that email over to Matt Ishbia? <laughs> Matty, hey, take care of your boy here. I mean, I get that email. I get that email from the NBA if I'm in my inbox. If I'm uh, if I'm Monty Williams, I get that email and I'm like, okay, um, I've just been fined twenty thousand by Joe Dumars, the executive vice president. Da, 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 da. Okay, forward m dot sons dot com. There you go, Matty. Take care of it. <laughs> There you go. Did you just give out Matt Ishbia's email address? I gave out, you know what? I actually gave out his email address unknowingly a few weeks ago when I reported the, when I actually, I was the only one that had, yes, I was the only one that had the letter from Ishbia to the Sun's employees. And so I gave it out. I gave out his email. And I feel like people are like, hey, thanks for Matt's email, dude. That's great. If you go back in my Twitter timelines, I like, I I actually copied and pasted. Well, let's not continue to dox the new owner of the sun shall well, we i just made a mistake i should i didn't listen i don't know i don't know how to like you know black it out like i don't know how to do that like i i you know so i got the email All from that is would have helped with you i don't know how to i just don't know how to do it they could do that for so you so my point want. is i could either not put it out there or i could put it out there with matt email so i put matt emails matt's so right email now, out matt ishby is like ah oh, damn i gotta change my email address to m ishbia five seven two seven eight seven three seven five six Underscore three two one five six seven at sunstock.com because all the other ones are taken right now. So that's his new email address because yeah, of you. it was a uh, it was a mistake. Funny. I wasn't you know I wasn't planning on doing stuff. it, but when the when the information came out, I actually yeah here it is. I forwarded it. It's actually uh, yeah mishbia at suns.com. <laughs> Yeah, and people are like, hey, thanks for his email address, dude. Like, sorry about that. <laughs> this is why Monty got fined. We all know why. I'm tired of talking about free throws. Our guys have to do their job. We, we understand that. But that that's a huge disparity. 46 free throws. And I'll say it again, 46 to 20. That's it. That's all I got to say. 28 to 
five. Twenty-six to twenty. Twenty-eight to five. That's all I hear when I hear that sound bite anymore. We're going to talk about you know we're not going to harp on it all day long, but we are going to talk in the three o'clock hour about just what how. The free throw disparity compared to like the history, yeah, it's pretty remarkable. Do you like that story? Is. Yeah, that was that yeah, was a really, was pretty was remarkable. A really good story about the the free throw history and how it's really always kind of been against the Suns, but it's really yeah. getting some attention now, here's right the now. Thing. Listen, yeah. I mean, if you're going to get fined, I mean, I would have rather had a little more, you know, oh, get your money's worth. I would rather thing. get my money's worth type of thing if I'm if I'm money because you got done with that. Like, is he going to get fined? Is he not going to get fined? You're gonna get fined twenty thousand dollars. I mean, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna get my pound of flesh. Did you see how much uh, Luca got fined? Thirty five thousand dollars just for doing this. Just for, for the just money for rubbing sign? The, the money sign. Just for rubbing the fingers together. You got Man. fined thirty five large for that. Just for doing that to an thirty five grand, just like that. Cause yeah. You, yeah, yeah, Man, so, they protect these officials like something else, oh don't they? Boy, the NBA, do they ever. You cannot criticize these people. This is amazing. You can't criticize them, and you get fined. It's actually ridiculous. But again, I'd rather take my pound of flesh. So if you, I'm going to get fined, I'd rather go. I, I'd rather go. Fred all Van Vliet. Out. You want to be like a Fred Van Vliet? He got yeah. thirty five grand, and he God, was f on this, earth, f on man. that, yeah. scorched earth. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, you'll make your. You're going to get fined. You might as well get your pound of flesh. We'll talk more throughout the course of the show as well about this. Sacramento team that they're playing tonight, but Oof. nevertheless, they are they're 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 just a, an amazing case study in bouncing back from being awful for a decade and a half, and exactly how they went about doing it. I mean, there are stories about Demontis Sabonis being traded to Sacramento. It's like they're going to boo us the minute we walk off the plane when we get there. <laughs> they were, and then they didn't, right? Because he got traded, obviously, for a very popular player in Tyrese Halliburton. But him and Holiday got there, and they're like, maybe reason so they're going to boo the crap out of us. And but you know, it's been an incredible turnaround for them and they you know their goal was to change the franchise the Aaron Fox and DeMontis Sabonis and these players have come in and they have they completely changed the franchise with what they've done and Sabonis has been a big key for a reason why and that team you know we always we, we say oh yeah you, you wouldn't mind playing Sacramento they're, they're actually really good and we get another chance to see them tonight yeah that one starts at seven o'clock legendary voice of the Suns Al McCoy he has announced his retirement we'd like to hear from you Text the word OWL to 62620, and what you can do is submit a video, a thank you OWL message, and uh, maybe if you're lucky, we'll even play it on the air. Text the word OWL to 620620. All right, we updated everybody on the state of Kevin Durant's. What is the state of the DeAndre Hopkins trade market right now? The other big story that we've been following all week is next on the Burns and Gambo Show. And Gambo. Afternoons on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. All right, Friday afternoon. Maybe today is D Hop Day. Maybe it's not. We've been saying that for the better part of the last two weeks now. There were a couple of moves in the NFL on the wide receiver markets uh, overnight and into this morning. Nothing major, mind you. DJ Chark, free agent wide receiver, signing with the Panthers on a one year deal. DJ Oh, no, a different guy. Sorry. <laughs> According to Jordan Schultz, uh, Nelson Aguilar to the Ravens on a one-year, three-and-a-half-million-dollar deal. I actually used to like him when he was did with like, Philly. I did like him. I, I, I thought he was really, pretty good. Did you really? Yeah. 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 I mean, he's, he's kind of slipped a little bit. But, yeah, there was a time early in his career at Philadelphia I thought he was pretty good. 
And there's a belief now in the industry that the Patriots are out on DeAndre Hopkins. There is. There is that belief that uh, that the Patriots are out, which is interesting because it wasn't a Pac-Man Jones that said, the Patriots, the Patriots. But I was looking at, a, at some stories today in uh, one of them on CBS Sports. It says uh, DeAndre Hopkins, Patriots no longer pursuing the Cardinals wide receiver. It says despite inquiring about Hopkins early in free agency, the Patriots don't plan to pursue the wideout. That was according to The Athletic. Apparently wary of the veteran's pricey contract. Um, so New England was expected to be active in the receiver market with Bill O'Brien returning as OC. They signed Juju Smith-Schuster, but they did lose two guys in Jacoby Myers and Nelson Aguilar. But they haven't done... Um, anything else. So there was the thought that they would go after Hopkins. If they're out of it, man, all signs seem to be pointed to Kansas City, doesn't it? I mean, all signs, Kansas City or Buffalo, the signs seem to be pointing that D-Hop's going to end up in one of those places. And, and you know, it's funny that you bring that up because there was like an extension of a conversation that you and I had yesterday about that that I heard on Wolf and Luke when I was driving in, and it was Wolf who was making the point that that if if it is indeed Kansas City versus Buffalo for the services to, for DeAndre Hopkins, and those are kind of two teams that we've presumed are going to be in the mix. You would think on the surface that if those two teams, given their recent histories with each other, if they're bidding against each other for DeAndre Hopkins, you would think the Cardinals should have no problem getting what they want, right? Because those are two teams with very high and heavy aspirations. Here's Kansas City, Super Bowl champ, trying to win another. They've seen their wide receiving room depleted because of all the guys who have left. They've got a lot of uncertainty in that room, and yet they want to maintain their success. Here are the Bills, who are the up-and-coming challenger, who haven't won a Super Bowl who have a very clear window to win one right now. If it really is Kansas City versus Buffalo for DeAndre Hopkins, I would think the team that would win should be the Arizona Cardinals because that, that that's the kind of competition that gives you the best offer you can get. You would think so, right? You would think that they, as long as there's more than one, right? If you got multiple teams bidding on the guy, you would think you would, you know, be able to get uh, not a king's ransom, but fair market value. And fair market value, I think everybody's kind of figured out that that's a second round pick. <laughs> Uh, but at this point, I think the Cardinals, you know, they, they want to move on. They want to get off the contract. They don't want to have that cap space, you know, tied to DeAndre Hopkins for the next two years. And, you know, maybe they'll maybe they will take a third. I don't know. But I, it is interesting that here we are closing in on the draft, just being, you know, closing weeks for the NFL draft away. And Hopkins is still here. I never would have thought that. I mean, the two week anniversary of free agency starting in the NFL is coming up on Monday. I never would have thought that after two weeks of free agency in the NFL, DeAndre Hopkins. Well, I still thought be about it. I, I thought Never about it. In a, thought that. I thought about it in a different way. Usually, the the big fish has to go first, and then all the smaller pieces fall in place. Exactly. That almost always happens like that. Everybody waits to see where is the best player going to go, and then after he goes, because nobody's sitting there saying, you know what. I really want the eighth best guy available. And well, what about the first one? We don't want him. How about the second best? We don't really. We want to get Nelson Aguilar. Right? We want to get the, the seventh best guy. Nobody does that. It's usually you work from the top to the bottom. Usually teams go after the best player. The best player is clearly DeAndre Hopkins. But so many middle tiered wide receivers have signed deals with teams. And you're scratching your head saying, how is DeAndre Hopkins not traded yet? And all these other guys have been traded and signed because you, you, you're working ass backwards. Yeah. That's a good point. I mean, just look at the two names that we led the segment with. DJ Chark. Okay. Right. Nelson Aguilar. Okay. You know, they're not DeAndre Hopkins. Juju Smith-Schuster. He ain't DeAndre Hopkins. Just about everybody who's signed so far this offseason, he ain't DeAndre Hopkins, right? Even Brandon Cooks, 
Dallas Cowboys' big acquisition a week ago? He ain't DeAndre Hopkins, yeah, all right? Those all those things should happen after Hopkins gets traded. So the question is why, and there was a story today on the Athletic website, on why the NFL wide receiver market has been so, in their word, muted this offseason compared to last year. And they're looking at last year when Devontae Adams got a King's Ransom and Tyree Kill and A.J. Brown, Stephon Diggs, D.K. Metcalf, all these dudes got paid last year. Debo Samuel, Terry McLaurin. And there's some really simple explanations that largely, you know, this year's free agent class isn't that exceptional. Uh, there's OBJ. He's still out there, but teams are concerned about him given he, you know, he's coming off the knee injury and how explosive he's going to be. As far as Hopkins they write this, quote, Hopkins is in a different category. He has unquestionably been one of the NFL's premier offensive threats since his breakout season, but he turns 31 in June. He's been slowed by injuries for the last couple of years, served a six-game suspension. With a new Cardinals regime headed by GM Monty Austin Fort and coach Jonathan Gannon, rival teams know Hopkins would be a salary dump, which significantly reduces his trade value. That's why teams like the Patriots don't plan to pursue Sue him unless there's a change in philosophy. So in other words, because teams know the Cardinals probably have to move DeAndre Hopkins, no one's coming with their best. No one's given their best and biggest offer to DeAndre Hopkins or to the Cardinals for DeAndre Hopkins because they know at the end of the day, we know you have to move him. We know you're going to dump him. We know you're going to get rid of him. We're not going to give you what you're asking for because eventually you'll lower your price. Right. Right, and it could be the case. The Cardinals' only bargaining chip is, you know what, we're just going to hold on to him then. You're not going to get him. And that's risky. And I don't know if anyone's buying that. That's risky because then if he gets hurt, you're on the hook for the contract if he gets injured. But that's your only, you know, listen, we'll wait it out. Maybe somebody will suffer a devastating injury to a wide receiver. Now come call and give us what we want. Uh, look, I'll always compare this, but it was like it was like going into the draft when everyone knew the Cardinals were going to take Kyler Murray, and they kept saying, "Oh, we'll keep we'll keep Josh Rosen, we'll keep him." No, you're not. No, you're not. You are not going to keep Josh Rosen. And right. everybody they knows you're going to. Everyone knows you're not going to keep. And that's Josh why they Rosen. got a late second instead right. of a you know. But a they better were pick. trying to convince the world that it was possible and that it could happen, and because they were playing the leverage game and they knew they were going to lose that game. That's sort of what feels like is happening here. Now, maybe DeAndre Hopkins gets traded an hour from now and the Cardinals get a second rounder and everything's fine. But on the surface, this does feel like teams are looking at what the Cardinals are asking for and it's like a car, right? Like, oh, yeah, you'll come down on your price for that. I know you will. I'll come back to you in like a week and we'll talk then because you're going to come down on your price for that one. Could be. Could be. In the meantime, you've got cryptic messages from D-Hop and, you know, Buffalo Soldier and things like that and other fans. Fan base is getting excited about the potential to get DeAndre Hopkins. And that's why I expect that he's going to be moved. I just, I, you know, I, this is Monty's first big trade. Like, this is your first big trade. You don't want to lose the trade. Like, and that could be why. Like, I don't want to settle for a third round pick for DeAndre Hopkins. The fans in Arizona could have torched me. Yeah. Like, I got to do better than that. I got to get a second. It's his, remember, it is, it's his first big trade. He wants to nail it. As you should, as you should. Something else they brought up in the story, too, is that the draft, that this is, in their words, the golden era for wide receivers in the draft, and that you can find a good one in the draft, especially because you don't want to pay two good wide receivers. We've talked about this for years around here with Anquan Bolden and Larry Fitzgerald, right? That's a position where it's hard to justify paying big-time money for two guys, so teams would rather try to find one in the draft because they don't think they can afford to pay two. Very true. At the same time, yeah. Texas, your thoughts on the FanDuel text line, 620. 
620-620 right now. We get a chance. We will read the best ones on the air. The Diamondbacks still have a few roster questions to answer. Does Skipper Tori Lovello have some answers for us? Our exclusive conversation with the manager of the Diamondbacks next, Burns and Gambo. Your exclusive home of the D-backs. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. D-backs manager Tori Lovello joins Burns and Gambo to talk D-backs baseball. Welcome back. It is our weekly visit with the manager of the Arizona Diamondbacks, Troy Lovello. Every Friday at 2.30, we talk a little baseball with the skipper here on the flagship home of the Diamondbacks, Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Good afternoon, Troy. How are you doing today? Guys, I'm doing great. How are you? Very good. Good, good. All right, let, let's get your thoughts on the uh, the World Baseball Classic. It came down to Otani against Trout, and everybody was glued to their television sets watching. I mean, it was a, a great moment for the sport. Otani got him, but it was still a really good moment for the sport of baseball. Yeah, uh, it couldn't be any better. I, I can't agree with you guys more. You know, talk about two teammates, and I do remember Otani's introductory press conference. One of the reasons why he signed with the Angels was to play with, with Mike Trout, who he looked up to. And now here he is um, on arguably the biggest stage and, and, and kind of carves him up. So it was a great moment, um, great for TV, great for Major League Baseball, and great for every clubhouse. We were all following it. We were all so proud of what the USA team did. Uh, it didn't work out, but in the end, it was good for baseball. As Benji Gill said, baseball won. Give me your thoughts on on Merrill Kelly. He didn't last as long as I'm sure he wanted to, but to be in that pressure cooker of a situation could only make him better. I agree. You know, we try to ramp guys up here in spring training, put them in that mindset. With their last couple outings, we talk about the intensity needing to be there. I think Merrill told me after his first outing against the Angels when he put on put that jersey on that said USA across his chest, he felt like there was just a different vibe. Now throw in the game against Columbia, and then the final game, he said there was it was almost unmatched in any part of his career. Uh, I talked to Dino Ebel, uh, who's a third base coach and now the third base coach for the Dodgers. I, I spoke with him briefly yesterday. He said the same thing. He said he and he's been in some big big situations as a coach. He said there, there's nothing that has rivaled that that intensity, that moment, that crowd representing your country uh, was something that was very special. So for Merrill, we know that he's ramped up, that he was engaged, he was ready. Talked about being a great experience, so he'll be ready for our season for sure. Yeah, and that, I'm going to follow Gambo's question with kind of one of my own about Merrill. Is he from a pitching standpoint, an arm strength standpoint, has he done enough to be ready for the opener here in another week, or at least the day after the opener in a week? Yeah, minimal concern for us, but there is some concern. It's not wide open. He's not built up to 95 or 100 pitches as he could have been in a different situation, but uh, we knew the consequences going in and coming out that this might be the case if he had one short in or one short outing. But what I think he did is he threw 55, 60 pitches in his first outing against Columbia. He's not too far off. So you follow that up with a 30. We won't bump that up too far. We'll probably sit in that 65, 70 pitch range, which means for his first start uh, after opening day, looks like he'll be the game two starter. You should get into that 75, 85 pitch range very, very comfortably. If they came to you and said, we want to do the World Baseball Classic every other year or every year, or we want to do it during a different time of year, would you have any suggestions? Would you have any objections? If something like that, I'm not saying it is, but hypothetically, because it was such a hit, what what would be your conversation about that if they wanted to change it or increase the frequency of it? 
I would be all for it. Uh, I know the hazards of the of the Altuve situation um, and Diaz. I know those are those are free things, and they can happen in any situation in any setting. I I just love that that stage and that moment, and the the the, the world was watching. And when you can include teams like the Czech Republic and and in Team Israel and Great Britain, who had an unbelievable run, and I can see that their their manager in the stands for the last game, full game that was played, getting the opportunity to know that he's going to come back in, in two or three years from now. That's so good for this this game, and it is a worldwide game, and I think to promote it, the more you can do it, the better off we're going to be. Uh, just promise me this. If you ever get named the skipper of the Italian team, that I get to be, I get some kind of responsibility. You know, whether I you know, hand out the espresso, or I get to be the first base coach, or the bench coach. I, I want a part of that, Tori. We're tight. Your name, Skipper. We're, we're, we're like Gorilla Glue, uh, Gamble. We got this. You might be the first base coach slash bench coach for sure. Can you throw okay. BP? All right. That's right. That's good. No, Listen, I pl- no I pl- he can't throw BP, Tori. I can throw BP. He can't throw BP. Oh, my God. He can't throw BP. Oh, I can 100% throw BP. You ha- anytime you want me to throw BP, I can throw good BP. <laughs> I put it nice. I, I put it right down the middle of the plate, nice and easy for guys. Oh, God. You might be leading off. I've seen your swing over Gonzo's place. <laughs> it's not bad. I was hitting ninety miles an hour over there. I was that was that was set to ninety. I was hitting it from the left side and the right side. Oh, boy. All right, let's talk about your catcher situation. Carson Kelly looks like he's going to be out six to eight weeks. Big blow for you guys. We always talk about this. I mean, the days of Johnny Bench and Thurman Munson and Carlton Fisk are long gone. Catchers don't catch 160 games anymore. You need two. You're going to be without Carson for a while. Who's going to back up uh, Moreno? Yeah, we haven't we haven't quite figured that out yet, but we're evaluating guys. We feel like we have some really good internal candidates, and we just got we got to do it right. We got to thoroughly um, look through the situation and figure out the best combination of two catchers are going to help us win baseball games until Carson gets back. And you're right, Johnny Bench caught 150 games. That's Pudge Rodriguez 150 games. That doesn't happen anymore. So we consider this a two punch combo. We got to find the best combination of guys that are going to help our pitchers execute and help us win baseball games. That, to me, is the bottom line right now and the key part of this decision. Is this moving Moreno a little faster than you or the organization would want thrusting him into this role right now at this point? Yeah, fair ask. I think it is. It's it's kind of accelerating things here. But uh, I think he's ready for it. I think the, the perfect combination, had it landed on Carson and Moreno, would uh, would be for you know the best portion of, of Gabby's development. And at some point, he's going to be a frontline catcher. Some point, whether it is two months from now, three months from now, a year from now, we don't know. But this will definitely amplify his um, his development. And as we push forward every single day, that's really what we want. We want to put guys in the right situation to grow and learn. And he's definitely going to get a crash course in that. Troy Lovello, our guest here on the Bernstein Gambo Show for his weekly visit. Yesterday, we saw both Dre Jameson and Ryan Nelson pitch. Very similar lines. When will you make a decision on the fifth starter? And is it down to those two guys? Or is there somebody else in the mix that we need to talk about? No, it's it's you know there, we have Solomon in camp as well, so we're we're going to be eyeing a lot of things uh, as we're pushing forward to get that that fifth guy named. Traditionally, when we go to Chase Field, we like to have everything sewn up. We don't like to make moves while we're there. We will, we have, but we want we want this team to travel um, downtown and and know everybody having everybody know what they're going to be doing for this coming season. But we're still we're still throwing it around. You know, there were two different locations yesterday. 
all the conversations were probably one-on-one conversations. We're bringing that into the office, into the conference room, talking about it more as a group. But we have not made a decision. We will make the best decision moving forward to help us win games off. We know the future at shortstop is very likely Jordan Lawler. In the past was Nick Ahmed, and then in the present last year it was Perdermo, who you know you know had a really good glove, struggled at the plate. How do you see the uh, the games being divided at shortstop for this year? Yeah, you're getting some heavy hairs today. That's that's a good one, Gamble. I don't know in fact, right? Uh, I just know that we have two really good players that are that are ready to take on um, that position. It's for me, he's a quarterback of the defense. I, I look at that shortstop as somebody that has a lot of responsibility. Nick Ahmed, we know he's done it for many many years, and you can almost tell from some of our conversations over the many years that I lean on him a little bit differently than I do any other infielder, and. I've been I've been talking to Perdomo about the same thing. They got to step up and they got to be the ones that that are setting up the defensive plays, um, not missing a beat, understanding where every player has to be on every play. He's got to know where the right fielder is on a cutoff play, where the third baseman is on a cutoff play. He's got to know where the pitcher is back in the bases. I hold him. Uh, completely responsible for all the activity on the defense. So, therefore, it is a big responsibility. And both guys are fantastic. Both guys take on that responsibility. Nick, with more experience, obviously, probably has a leg up in that one particular spa- space and time. But I don't know where it's going to take us as far as playing time. I gotta, we got to figure out who's making the team and then how the puzzle fits together and how the playing time fits together. Once we have the 26 guys, or actually 13 position players, then we'll determine what happens from there. You know, being in being in shape for a middle infielder is is just so important. I remember Carlos Baerga was such a great player, and all of a sudden he gained 10, 15 pounds, and he wasn't a great player anymore. With that being said, Cattell Marte, you know, being in shape, being in you know how you know changing that body, getting back to what he was. We're nearing the end of spring training. Are you happy with where he is at? Very, very. I wish you guys could see him if he came out for any of our workouts. He's operating at full speed on with his with his work habits, his defense, um, individual defense, team defense. He has been unbelievable. And what we talked about was more mobility for him this offseason. He was a middle linebacker. He was just so strong. He just had a wonderful body. Built for baseball, of course. But we were talking about some agility and movement and and, and quick quick twitch um, movements to pick up baseball defensively we needed him to slim down he did that he did a wonderful job of that his body's in great shape and he's ready to go all right Troy. next time we talk to you it'll be the day after your opener against the dodgers we look forward to that we look forward to seeing how it goes and we'll talk to you then okay Okay, guys. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks, Kevin. Lavello joining us here on the Burns and Gambo Show, the Arizona Sports Line. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Now, when we come back, what's a night of college basketball? Uh, four good games, one, well, two incredible games, one gigantic update, upset. we got a lot to update you on. That's all next on the Burns and Gambo Show. The Burns and Gambo Need to Know Twitter Poll, presented by Sanderson Ford. Let's turn it over to Eric Ruby. He's got our Twitter poll question of the day. Rubes, it's all yours. What do you got? We had to pivot because we sent out our original tweet about five minutes before the topic of this one came out. So we shout did. out uh, to uh, Sham Sharania. Yeah, Sham Sharania, when he tweeted out the news that Kevin Durant was probably going to be back next Wednesday against Minnesota, we had put out a very negative Suns tweet, and tonally it just didn't feel right anymore. So we're like, eh, we should probably pick something else. So what should have hold off on that tweet button for like 
five more minutes. You know what? Sometimes you should just count to ten before you tweet. That's always a good rule. Uh, Rubes, what do you got for us? What is it today? Well, we don't have to count to ten to get the amount of days before Kevin Durant is supposedly supposed to make his actual home debut. Sham Sharani reporting it's going down Wednesday when they host the Timberwolves. So does that mean everything's okay? Yes or no? <laughs> like, we good? We good? Like, the last I mean, couple weeks just putting it behind us? Yes. Again, none of this stuff that's none of this stuff matters. They haven't had Kevin Durant. I truly believe none of this has mattered. They could lose these next three games. That doesn't matter. And it probably doesn't matter. Because when they get him back, as long as he plays, as long as everything's fine, I think even whatever mess they play themselves into, they can play themselves out of with Kevin Durant on the roster. That's how much faith I have in him and this team with him. So I yes, we're we're good. We're cool. Everything's good. fine. We're good. We're like Six, three little Fonzies here. We're good. Sixty-three percent of our audience would agree with you guys. Everything's fine. Forget about all the problems we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. Thirty-seven percent say actually no, everything's not okay. I was expecting higher. I was expecting I that second was too. I, I was expecting that second number to be higher. I thought there would have been more people who would have. No, I'm sorry. I thought the first number was going to be higher. More I thought people more, would be fine. More people be like, yeah, no, we're good. Everything's cool. We're okay. That's so sus. <laughs> I don't know if that works or not. That's that a kind of like technically it works, but like yeah. in the heart it doesn't. Yeah. You know? Okay. Kind of sounded like mm-hmm. like like it'd be me and you're in Italy trying yeah. to speak Italian. Mm-hmm. Chances are somebody would look at me a little cross-eyed if I what you just said, right? Like, like when yes. Dwight Howard took a three in the All Star game and it went in. Like yeah, like yeah, it worked, but, but you know, yeah. that's, that's so yeah. sus. I mean, technically, mm-hmm. yeah, but yeah, not really, not really. But a good try though, Campbell. Thank you. When I'm in Italy, whenever that is, I'll try to speak. You'd be like, ciao, Beller. <laughs> Does that work? I... Grazie. Yeah. How about that? Come my star. <laughs> Thank you, Eric. That's the poll question. You can find it on the Burns and Gambo Twitter page. I'll do whatever I can to fire this team up and fire myself up. And if people have a problem with that, then, you know, they can go uh, show somewhere else. Drew <laughs> <Ooh>, Jimmy. <laughs> Like, boy, man, what a talk, game. You talk about the recognition that you were about to say something that should not be said on live yes. TV. Yeah. Slamming on the brakes and quickly turning the wheel. Yeah, that was Drew Timmy right there. And no answer for him, man. He was great. Look, had no answer for him. Four games yesterday in March Madness in the Sweet mm-hmm. 16. Um, two of them were extraordinary. One of them was a, another big upset in the tournament with Tennessee losing to Florida Atlantic. Florida Atlantic. Uh, they're in the Elite Eight right now, and they didn't. And we'll talk about that game a little bit later. But, and then of course, the other one is UConn, just destroying Arkansas. UConn's oh, destroyed everybody so far. This on them. They put a whooping on them. But those two games last night, Michigan State, K-State, and then Gonzaga, UCLA, that is the tournament at its very best. Both I, of those games right I, I'll there. I'll tell you, I don't think I've ever heard Tom is a, more of a sore loser than he was last night. Yeah, they kind of, some of those shots were lucky. They kind of banked in a couple of them, um, you know. Oh, my God. I don't know if you heard him <laughs> no. afterwards. No, I didn't Tom hear that. Tom Izzo sounded like a sore loser. Did he really? Yeah, yeah. I just like to, I have to try to find the cut. But, yeah, he did. He sounded like a sore loser with his comments. And then the Gonzaga-UCLA game was, I mean, that was just, UCLA, that was the tale of like three different games. UCLA was killing them. They were killing them. And then all of a sudden, second half starts and Gonzaga, 
Gonzaga goes on this run and UCLA can't score. Um, and, and, it, and UCLA blows a 13 point lead in the second half. Then Gonzaga's up by 10. Two minutes, 40 seconds left. They're up by 10. Game over, right? No, not so fast, Game my over, friends. Man. Game, Game over, over, man. Uh, it was one of my favorite. Actually, that actor was really good. I liked him. Um, UCLA storms back. They get it. This Amari Bailey hits this three pointer with 14 seconds left. I'm watching it with Chelsea. I'm like, yes, because I'm thinking I got UCLA in the Final Four. This yes. is great. My bracket's going to be awesome. And then, man, they just, uh, uh, you know, Gonzaga gets the ball back. A little flip pass from Hunter Salas to Strother. Buries a shot from yes. way beyond the Fr- three point line. From the S of the March Madness logo at midcourt. Yeah. I, I mean, he was way back there when he th- you're like what are you oh okay that's cool yeah that's that's great I mean Gonzaga the number of ways they almost screwed that lead up in the last two minutes the turnovers the three and point the plays free throws the fouls and the, and the foul it was just, it was a mess so that and that's what made that game so exciting was UCLA in complete control Drew Timmy and Gonzaga took it right back UCLA took it right back t- with two minutes t- to t- go Campbell gets stripped I mean you didn't even get a shot off yeah and at the end of the day it's this this UCLA UCLA Gonzaga, like you tell me, they're oh, going to meet man. every year in the tournament, and just uh, I'll buy my tickets now, right? Like I'll, a, I'll go to that build because I just you know you're going to get a great game between those. Column two. in the LA Times, not again, not again, not again. Two years later, another deep Gonzaga dare. Two years later, another desperate UCLA stare. Two years later, another dagger. Just history repeats itself as Gonzaga finds a way to beat UCLA again. Two years ago, overtime national semifinals. Jalen Suggs hits a 40-footer. They showed it during the game. Like, at the end of the game, with like a couple minutes left, they actually showed the Jalen Suggs shot. And and there it is again. Gonzaga does it to him again. The Bruins go down. The Pac-12 is out of the tournament. Terrible showing. And Gonzaga lives to play another day. He lives to fight another day. Knock on wood. So far, my West bracket is perfect. Yeah, mine was until that one. Pristine. I haven't picked a game wrong in the Western bracket so far. First and second place, me and you right now. We're 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 trending. We're definitely trending. And Mitch is is finishing strong as well. I mean, I think either way, like we talked about at the beginning of the show, if Alabama wins, you're in a good spot. If Houston wins, I'm in a good spot. One of us should win based on who you know, based on who wins. Uh, I lost the Final Four team in Tennessee last night. Uh, Florida Atlantic. Here's Nick Boyd, their coach. I can't count us out no more, man. We we here to stay, and uh, we're gonna keep fighting no matter who who we line up against, who we play. Uh, I got a group of brothers that play together, and I feel like there's nobody in the country that loves each other like we do and works like us, so um, we're going to keep making statements. All apologies, not their coach, their star player. That was now that was a crazy game only because Tennessee, the, the, the phrase that was used last weekend with Tennessee, they like to play in the mud, right? Like They, they like to bring a game down to its absolute most like raw, dirty yeah. level where it's just physical and nasty and everything. It's not like Florida Atlantic won that game because they buried a bunch of threes. They, they only missed hit a lot of them for the whole game, right? Yeah. They missed a bunch. They won playing Tennessee style which is amazing because they got like what three dudes who start who are six foot four and they were able to play that physical style against Tennessee and win. It was one of the biggest upsets of the tournament, I thought, because I just thought Tennessee would completely outmuscle Florida. Uh, it just fell apart at the end. I mean, Tennessee was up 39 33, 12 minutes left, very ugly game. They only scored 16 points the rest of the way. In the final 12 minutes, they scored 16 points, and FAU 
BYU was able to pull the upset, scoring by committee. They overcame, like you said, the bad three-point shooting game, third straight time. They don't shoot the three very well, but they got a lot of players that just are able to knock down some shots and you know in you know mid-range shots and at the basket, and they end up in the uh, they end up in the elite eight. Great story for FAU. First time in the program's history they're in the elite eight. Sore loser or not. Michigan State, Kansas State was a classic. 16 lead changes, 14 ties. It was the first overtime game of the tournament this year. Neither team led by double figures. It was haymaker after haymaker after haymaker. The whole game. You can do it. I can do it better. Oh, yeah, we can do it better. Oh, yeah, we can do it better. The whole game was like that. And it was it was going down while we were on the air. And I got to admit, it was one of those moments where, frankly, I was kind of had like a hard time concentrating on the show. It was such a good basketball game. K-State advances. And if you're looking at brackets now, I, I don't know how many people had K-State coming out of that, no, that bracket. No. There were a lot of Purdue's, a lot of Marquette's, maybe a few Tennessee's. I don't know if there were a lot of K-State's there. So I don't know no, how I had Marquette. I, I had Purdue out early and I had Kansas out early, but I wasn't able to really take advantage of it. You know, so I did have two number one seeds out after the first round, um, but I just did not. You know, I did not take advantage by having the right team play. Um, in the end, a lot of people, you know, you know, you know, had. So that's why I don't think a lot of people have. You know, two to have three teams left in the Final Four is pretty good, which you have. Yeah. Most people have two, two, which I have. And as long as you as long as you end up with your championship game, you probably got a chance to win your bracket. Yeah, yeah. And if a lot of people have Houston, Alabama, which I suspect they do, then the winner might end up being a. Which team did you pick to win the championship? And B. Do you have a third Final Four team? Right? Do you have another one in there? Let me just say this real quick sure. before we break. These the comments by Tom Izzo. Give them credit. They banked in two shot clock threes. They made some big plays. But some of those plays weren't big plays. They were lucky plays. <laughs> Come on, Tom, Tom Izzo. Tom Izzo getting torched before by saying that they got lucky. Rise above, Tom. When we come back on the Burns and Gambo show, it's probably the one and only time all day we'll talk about it. <laughs> Is solving the Suns' free throw dilemma as simple as Kevin Durant returning? We're going to dive headfirst into that controversy next on the Burns and Gambo show.